place your advance order now on Amazon for the very first volume of the New Thinking Aloud Dialogue series, Is There Life After Death? Publication date is June 1st. Thinking Aloud. Conversations on the leading edge of knowledge and discovery with psychologist Jeffrey Mishlove. Hello and welcome. I'm Emmy Vadness, co-host with Jeffrey Mishlove. Our topic today is cultivating intuition. My guest is Marcia Emery, who's been a guest on New Thinking Aloud a previous time. She is a psychologist and a pioneer in the field of applied intuition. As a college professor, she expanded into parapsychology, lending the study of intuition and dreams. She has served as a board member of the International Association for the Study of Dreams. She is author of Dr. Marcia Emery's Intuition Workbook, An Expert's Guide to Unlocking the Wisdom of Your Subconscious Mind, Intuitive Healer, Accessing Your Inner Physician, and Power Hunch, Living an Intuitive Life. Marcia is located in Ashland, Oregon. Now I'll switch over to the internet video. Welcome, Marcia. It is such a joy and a pleasure to have you back with us on New Thinking Aloud today. I'm delighted to be here. And if I could underscore that word, delight. (laughs) Let the light shine, (laughs) you know, on both of us. And uh, this has been a very exciting journey for me with you to go back. You took me back to memory lane. Where did it all begin? And, you know, uh, looking back, I said, just like I said on our first talk, you know, you've come a long way, baby. (laughs) You have been working as a professional intuitive for decades now. When did you first discover that you were intuitive? I could give you a thumbnail. I will try to make it a thumbnail, if you would like, of what happened, who I was, and uh, what was going on in my life in 1971. Would you like that? Yes, we would love to hear some of that history, and I know you detailed a fair amount of that in our previous interview that I'll link to now called Adventures in Precognition. The interesting thing is, I was a shrink. I was a psychologist. PhD, two masters and a PhD. And I'm a college professor and uh, I love psychology. I love finding out about people, what makes them tick. That was one part of me. But I had another part of me. The, uh, the passion of me in and around me was dance. But what I didn't mention last time was all that jazz. Now, what do I mean by that? There was music all around me. And uh, I was in an interesting relationship called with a musician, with a fairly well-known musician, Marshall Hawkins, I can name him. And he was very popular in Washington, D.C. So I traveled in the uh, in the jazz, in the musical cir- uh, circle. Q, first time ever I saw your face by Roberta Flack. Marshall was the best bass player. And uh, 
This was so new and different to me because in all my relationships, my previous one have all been academic, college bound, head people like myself, and here I am with a musician. So I'm traveling in a different world. And the reason I'm emphasizing this is there was something going on in me where the music was all around me as well. It wasn't just the dance, the body music. Uh, I had the jazz music. I had a dance partner who was Caribbean. He, that music was all around me. I even did African dance. Appeared as the Kennedy Center for the Performing Arts with an African dance troupe. Yes, I was the only woman of color, my color there, <laughs> dancing around. But all of these things were very, very different. And then the wind blew and shifted again. And if I was prepared for anything new, how would I say I wasn't? I wasn't. You know, sometimes we say sit back and enjoy the ride. Okay, so here's the ride. The ride uh, with all that background that I gave started when a student came in and asked me, do you do readings? Readings? I read books all the time. What are you talking about? I had no idea what he meant. And he said, no, no, I mean, have a reading, a card reading. I said, I don't play cards. He said, look, you got to go see Mrs. Pierman. So off I go to see Mrs. Pierman, a card reader. Did I tell anybody about this? Of course not. I didn't even know what I was doing. And so here I am happily going in and uh, Mrs. Pierman, she shuffles the cards and spreads them and says, you know, you have a very bright mind. You have a lot of good things going for you. You like to be around people. You have a boyfriend. Oh, yes, I smiled. <laughs> I, yes, I, I was very happy to say that. And she says, but, you know, there's another woman in his life. I said, oh, no, 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 you must be mistaken about that. That that couldn't be. And uh, I was really puzzled by that. And she kept insisting that there was another woman. Well, what I need to mention at this point, when Marshall came into my relationship, he had just ended another relationship, a long-term relationship. And he pursued me, and I didn't give it a second thought. I thought that was the end of it. So anyway, here's Mrs. Pierman telling me about this. Let's, let, let me just kind of go go forward more, more quickly with this. So uh, I confront him about it. And he says, yes, you know, we did get back together. And I, I didn't know what to do about this. There was another woman in his life. So I was really upset. And I talked to someone, a friend. And she said, why don't you go to Unity Church? <laughs> it's, it speaks to the minister. He's so loving and positive. And I did that. And the minister tells me, send her love. I said, what? I despise this woman. You know, she's ruining my life. And you're telling me to send her love. So this was the beginning of a turnaround for me, becoming very positive. And indeed, I did send the young lady love. That went on and on. I became a member of Unity Church. Well, did that end there? No. I get the drift of spiritualism, the spiritualist church. So I go to the spiritualist church where the spiritualist as a medium kind of brings in the spirits and gives a message. So here I'm at the church service and she picks me. 
And again, I'm hearing this about a bright, you know, the bright mind and being around people and teaching. And uh, then she says, yes, there's a man around you. And she picks up the music around me. Uh, so she hit me on target enough for me to go for a reading. And I go for a reading. And once again, blah, blah, blah. And there comes up Marshall's name again and the relationship with them. So, you know, I'm puzzled. How are these people keying into me and knowing me and knowing there's another person involved? I mean, I'm a psychologist. I love and I study behavior. And they're reading me. And what was happening? Do you notice my boundaries were being expanded? Well, Emmy, this next one is for you. Wish you were by my side <laughs> at that time. Along comes Donald Cotton, a friend, a PhD physicist. And, you know, he asked me one day how I'm doing. And I said, fine. And he pulls out this little book. And I said, what is that? And he says, it's an ephemeris, an astrology ephemeris. So he asked for my birthday and blah, blah, blah. And again, he's going on with my bright mind and blah, blah, blah. So then he goes on to ask, are you in a relationship? And I said, oh, yes, it's a wonderful relationship. You know, I really gussied it up. So he again pulls out another book, and he's comparing our charts. And he's saying things to me that mirrored our relationship exactly. And I thought, what is going on here? What is going on here? Now, can you see the drift that I'm getting? I'm a psychologist, but they're telling me about people and relationships. Okay. This next one really got me. My friend Aphrodite, that's her name, of Greek origin, comes to visit me in Washington, D.C. And she said, you know, there must be a really good Greek restaurant around here. I said, I don't know of any. She said, well, if there's a Turkish one, that will work. So we go to the Turkish cafe and we're having a nice lunch. And Afi at the end takes her coffee cup. I didn't drink coffee, so I didn't order any. And uh, she turns it upside down. I said, Afi, what are you doing? I'm embarrassed. You're taking your coffee cup and you're turning it upside down. She said, there must be a reader here. She said, get some coffee. Maybe they could read you too. So I didn't drink coffee, but I went along and I had to sip my coffee. So we found out that Mama Aisha was the reader. But she rarely sees people. She looked over our way and she points at me. You, I want to see that girl. I want to see you. So I go to Mama Aisha and I didn't know what to expect. The coffee cup is turned upside down and she's looking at it. And would you believe, again, you know, you're very bright. You're around a lot of people. You have a boyfriend and I'm smiling. Yes, yes, yes. But there's another woman. Holy moly, can you believe this theme coming up again about the other woman? These are things where I realized something was going on and the boundaries were being pushed, were being pushed. I go out and I'm just casually uh, walking around and uh, I go into a store and I pick up a deck of tarot cards. Oh, this is fun, the weight rider tarot deck. And I didn't know what to do, and I put it spread out. And, you know, there, too, I'm picking up information. I said, this is fun. 
I have to try this out on a friend. I didn't know what I was saying. I didn't know what I was doing. I tried out with a friend. Boom, boom, hit them, hit them. Yeah. So that's Washington, D.C. for me. My life is filled with the joy of music. I'm dancing with Carlisle, my dance partner. I'm just uh, thrilled with Marshall, but I'm not thrilled about this relationship, the possibility of somebody else, you know, involved. So life goes on. And life goes on and Washington becomes very turbulent and uh, the race relations going on. And uh, next thing I know, all that jazz and I'm out of here. And I go down to the Bahamas and I fall in love. Well, yeah, there was another musician there who kind of captured me, but I fell in love with the Bahamas. I fell in love with the people. There was no white or black. People looked at you as a person. It was delightful. The water was teal. I loved the swimming. And one day a woman comes up to me and uh, she looked in my eyes and she says, oh, my God, you're a psychic. No one ever called me a psychic before. What is this? You're a psychic. And lo and behold, she said, I want you to read for me. Here we go again. Read. What am I reading? So I had the little deck of tarot cards. Bottom line, I'm reading her. And uh, she's recommending people to me. And people are coming around because they're amazed how accurate I am. Enter the fair, the Red Cross fair. They needed a fortune teller. But I said, I will not be called a fortune teller. Don't do that to me. So they had me doing readings. And I talked about this with my little red purse being stolen there. And, and so I was getting the experience of reading for people. I was gaining credibility. And uh, I wouldn't dare use the word. What word? Intuition. I didn't know it. You know, I'm just learning a little bit about Psy. Well, where did I learn about Psy? Okay, we travel now to Florida. I'm in Hollywood, Florida. And what happens in Hollywood, Florida? I'm at the Florida Society for Psychical Research. I'm finding out about Psy. Psy? I'm finding out about precognition. All these dreams that I were having, that I was having over the years that were coming true are now called precognition. So that put that in place. And Florida was very pivotal because I not only started doing the readings there, I started getting a lot of press and notoriety. I, I appeared in the two papers with great big ads, uh, pictures of me and my cat Clyde sitting on my desk. You know, and they were very good ads, uh, you know, and it brought me a lot of clients. So I was, I was fairly well known. But another thing happened. Two other things happened. Uh, that's where I met Douglas Dean, who was at that time known. He was a PhD physicist as the father of psychology. And he wrote this wonderful book about psi. And uh, that was the book that I eventually gave Weston Agor the man that I fell in love with. Prophets, it was Prophets Make Prophets was like the title of it with, with this Psy. And uh, so I was getting attuned to Psy. I connected with Weston. Weston got lit by Douglas Dean's book and he went on to do work in intuition. That's the first time intuition really came up in my life. Now, if I could just... uh 
highlight another little detail that was going on in Florida. I'm a psychologist also. I'm a licensed psychologist. Now, can you imagine this? A licensed psychologist is giving readings and practicing psi, doing psychometry, holding an article of a person and telling them all about themselves, reading these cards. And uh, there was a uh, psychology society, and I wanted to belong. I really wanted to be still level and sane and part of something. So I had a friend, Antonio Nunez, who used to come to the Florida Society for Psychical Research. And one day I said, come on, Antonio, I'm going to go to this meeting and you come with me. And I had a card. It was a little green card. I still remember it. I had a rose because I was Marcia Rose. And you see my roses and your roses. And uh, on the card, I had the words psychic psychologist. And I was passing that around. And Tony and I are sitting there and people are looking at that card and they're pointing to me and they're laughing. And the next car, we could actually see the card going around the room as people would lower their head and, and they're laughing. So that was very significant that I was still a psychologist, a bona fide psychologist. But what happened next? Well, in the run of things, and I told this last time, I met Jim, we got married, and I'm off to Grand Rapids. So I'm coming to Grand Rapids, and oh, there was a detail I forgot to do. There was so much to do before I left. You Can you guess what that was? Probably not. I didn't even remember to renew my psychology license. Pivotal detail. I'm a bona fide psychologist, and I didn't renew my license. So here we are in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And uh, I'm testing new waters now. The big jump happened in a very interesting way. Well, there were two things that were going on. Um, first, uh, I was giving readings. I became known. I was really itching, and that's the word, to teach again, to give classes. And I started giving classes in Psy, in parapsychology. And I was just loving it. And it's also the time that Shirley MacLaine was in vogue and she's talking about past lives. And I also gave a class in past lives. So I caught, uh, articles started appearing about me and I caught the attention of the local psychologists. Well, they lambasted me. One of them called me Grand Rapids answer to the Gypsy Queen and a horrible newspaper article was written about me lambasting me. They even got to the point of reporting me to the local psychology association because I practice psychometry. You know what psychometry is? That's the first job I ever had. I was a psychometrist. A test construction is psychometry. That's the name for psychometry. But there's also a practice where you hold an article and lo and behold, you bring the the information in. Well, I, I won't say too much about this, but uh, I was just fed up with that. I didn't want to call myself a psychic anymore. I didn't want to be known as that. And I didn't know what my step, next step was. Okay, what happens when we sit back and we relax and we whistle? <laughs> I whistle a happy tune. Lo and behold, after a unity meeting, 
a man comes over one night and hands me a book. And the book is called Intuitive Management. And who is that book written by? Weston Agor. My old beau, who I kind of got into the stream of intuition by giving him Douglas Dean's book. And I open the book and I say, oh, look, the book is dedicated to me. I was one of the two people the book was dedicated to. So this really lit up my friend. So who was my friend? Uh, Bob Coonan was his name. And he was the chairperson of the undergraduate business division at Aquinas College. And he said, do you think you could come teach there? La, 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 la. <laughs> what? Me? Business? Even my mother said, what do you know about business? You know, intuition. Yeah, maybe, you know, this is really, I didn't want to use the word intuition before because of the association with Weston, but I started to think about intuition and what it is. So, lo and behold, I start teaching. How do you define intuition? Intuition, for me, is the deepest wisdom of the soul. There are many ways to describe it. It's a clear knowing. You know, but you don't know how you know. I love the title of the book, Mutant Message Down Under. That was a book. It's the mutant message down under. And, you know, we came on with the Internet. And my friend Ed Kellogg said to me, you know, what you're really talking about with intuition is the Internet. Our Internet, our inner knowing, tuition is knowing, our inner knowing, our inner wisdom. And so inside of us, we have a counselor, we have an oracle to go, we have someone, something sage that's in us, that's sacred, that gives us the bigger picture. And it's so important. And if you notice when I talked about my early life, boundaries were being pushed. So the intuition is like this. It just really gives us a big umbrella, the big picture. And last time I put psi under that big umbrella, the telepathy, the precognition, the uh, lucid dreaming, the past lives, the visitations, creativity. You know, it was just a whole array of things going on. So here I am teaching intuition. And uh, I know for many people, intuition is associated with what? The woman's thing. And men would say, it's not for me. And they kind of shy away from the word. Earlier, you were saying that you didn't want to be called a psychic. And yet, intuition is a form of psychic functioning, right? Yes, yes, yes. Uh, here again, umbrella. Ready to open the umbrella? Intuition is here. It's sacred. It's divine. It's creative. Albert Einstein was very, very intuitive. He was creative with his formulas. And for me, the psychic was a way of predicting, looking ahead. Okay. Now, the precognitive form of intuition is very broad because we're shown things that haven't happened yet. That's really re reaching into the sacred, into the divine. But as a psychic telling people you're going to meet somebody, you're going to move, you know, whatever, that's kind of more straightforward looking ahead. Whereas the intuition really is 
feels expansive, feels very, very broad. Does that make sense? Yes, that makes sense. And when you are guiding somebody with precognition, there are a variety of options that may occur. So maybe it can be feel uncomfortable to predict the future for somebody. It depends on how you want to open up about something, how far you want to go. And this is where my being a psychologist really came in handy. I, I had to know how far to go with the person. And I, I learned I didn't know. It was that, you know, intuition is the aha, the voice in the head. You know, it's transmitting, you know, something. I didn't know that I was picking up things. I didn't know that I was picking up information. And uh, because I didn't label it, I didn't name it in any way. But I, I had a, well, I had a special gift, but it's a gift that everybody has. And this is what I want to emphasize. You know, everyone is intuitive. It doesn't matter who they are. And our intuition, when we want to, you know, talk more about it, I, I like to just say some common uh, metaphors, synonyms that people could relate to. You know, it goes on all the time, wherever we are. In the shower, people say, oh, yes, I get my best ideas in the, in the shower. You could be on the golf course. You could be cooking. You could be at work. Wherever you are, your intuition is flowing and it's operating. If only you would listen. If only you would hear it. And when I get a little more into the uh, the steps, that's what you have to do. You have to listen and you have to be aware. So I had, I thought, a heads up on other people in that I, my, my psychology part of me never stopped giving information to people and doing it tactfully, hopefully tactfully. What are some tips that you can provide people to help them cultivate their intuition? When we're talking about intuition now, we're, we're talking about uh, the pictures in our head. That's the, you know, intuition. We're, we're, you know, and to kind of get in touch with the pictures, symbols, and images. Because we're of two minds. I want to stress this. Uh, Roger Sperry in 1981 came up with his theories of the two hemispheres. And he had a right brain and he had a left brain. And that left brain was very logical and knew how to do the math, knew how to take the steps. And the right brain, in other words, was intuitive, what was open, pushed the boundaries and, and such. And so uh, a bird doesn't fly on one wing. And when I taught my graduate students, it was very important for them to know that you are Integrating, and that was the title of the course, Integrating Logic and Intuition for man Managers. You're integrating, you're going back and forth. So in any work that I do, and this is going to lead into the tips, you're integrating the logic and the intuition. And Jonas Salk, the scientist, said, the intuitive mind tells the thinking mind where to look next. And so to me, it's a cycle going back and forth. So the first tip for me to say is hmm, note that you're going back and forth. Intuition, logic, intuition, logic. It's a dance that's going on. And that means you need to hear that intuitive voice. 
You need to be sensitive to it. Now, not everybody hears that voice, okay? I have to digress a moment. I'll try to make this part quick, too. I had a student. I, I was so happy, by the way, to be back in the classroom at Aquinas College when I was teaching the undergraduates. And then the next year, I met in the copy machine, where else, the head of the graduate department, Jack Desick. And he said, you know, I've been hearing about you. Can you come and teach the graduates, the master's and management students? So I, I was delighted to go back and teach them. And uh, were the, again, I'm emphasizing the class was called Integrating Logic and Intuition for Managers. So they had to be aware they just weren't coming into a class on intuition. I had a, a student. He was a little guy, sat in the corner, and used to look at me puzzly, with a puzzling expression on his face. And I didn't know why. And he was a marketing manager, and his name was Jim Stark. And uh, as part of the assignment in class, the students had to go out and interview five managers, five middle-level, upper-level managers. So Jim really took this task to heart. And he goes out, and he's interviewing the first person, and he noticed that he looked up and got an answer. He didn't know what was going on. The second person went like this, like they were listening. And the third manager picked up a pen and went like this. They were feeling the pen. And he picked up a fourth person who went <laughs> before answering. That's a sniff in my nose. And the fifth person did what? <laughs> the lips before responding. And he was fascinated by this. And he said, you know, each of them went in and felt a scent physically, felt a sensory modality coming up. And it was like someone saw, you know, looked up and saw, and someone, you know, listened for the answer. And somebody felt the answer, and somebody got a sniff of it, and somebody got a taste for it. He said, how unusual. And he was so excited about this discovery that he went on to interview more to see how this was happening. So he was teaching, and uh, I forget what class he was teaching, and he noticed that his students were getting poor grades. And he said, you know, maybe I have to set the test questions in a language that they can understand. And so for people, he said, can you, can you hear the response? Can you see what's going on? Can you get the feel for this? Can you get the drift? And so I'm going through each of the sense to, uh, to show you this was so important. And this to me is an important tip. And it comes under the heading. How are you wired for intuition? Now, I wonder if you know how I'm wired. I'm wired most of the time, right? You know, I get all of the, this information coming from, from all over. And I have gotten to the point in my practice where I'm multi-sensory. I don't go with one. But my first sense that got lit 
was hearing. Because I said to Jim, if you're so smart, the Jim, the student, how would you label me? And he said, oh, you're a dead giveaway. I said, what do you mean? He said, you always stand leaning with your head to the side as you're talking. Do you know, Emmy? I used to sit down when I wrote and I heard dictation. I thought everybody heard dictation. Doesn't everybody hear when they write? But it never occurred to me that that intuitive sense was already working. And then I went on to find out that I was very feeling, very, I could sense it. I could feel it. I just knew things that no one else knew. And then I had to develop what? My vision, my sniffing, my taste for it. So uh, to me, it's exciting. And if we have time and we go over it, you know, I have exercises that I always bring people into to find out how they are wired. So this is important. Everybody has intuition. You could all do it. You know, there are channels we work on. I'm just talking about the physical channel. There's a mental channel. Some people clearly know. There's an emotional channel. Some people feel here. There's a spiritual channel. There's even, (laughs) to me, an environmental channel. The environment gives us clue. So next tip. Next tip. Your body is an intuitive antenna. And pay attention. Okay. You just meet somebody new and suddenly you get, oh, you know, this feeling in your stomach. Ah, what were you upset about? Okay. Ah, your stomach is upset. It's giving you information. I can't stand this person. Okay. What about when your shoulder is going out? Oh, this shoulder really, really hurts. That's an intuitive antenna. I am carrying too much responsibility. I have to talk about that. What happens when you get a pain in your derriere? (laughs) The common name back there. You know, maybe somebody has a pain in your ear, you know, going on. So the, the body has an intuitive antenna. And, you know, what I'd like people to be aware of as a tip, uh, when the body is this overall feeling of just well-being, inner peace, inner calm, balance, everything is right. But when something jerky is going on, it, it's not right. And so when I'm about to do something and I'm meet somebody new, make take an assignment, write something, say something, whatever it might be, uh, when I'm about to do something, uh, I check my body. If it's smooth, I move. If it's rocky, (laughs) I stop. I was talking about the intuitive mind before, that it speaks in pictures, symbols, and images. Be attuned to those pictures and, and images. And then, once you get them, you have to begin to freely associate to them. This is why I love dream analysis. And I used to pick a symbol. And then I would tell my students, or whoever I'm talking to, or even if I'm doing it, or in a dream group, take that symbol and amplify. Okay, this person came up looking like a bear in your dream. Let's amplify. Let's keep associating to that. 
A bear is an animal. Oh, a bear is huge. It's menacing. It's rough. It's ferocious. A bear is cuddly. A bear you could get next to. Maybe this person is someone you could get next to. So it's important to get the image and then it's important to freely associate to it. What I have found about my work with intuition, sometimes these images, they come in very faintly, very, very gently. Sometimes, boom, they hit you over the head. And you have to be attuned to to both. And these things go on all the time, all the time. And one has to be ah, aware and listening. I could go on with other tips or I could just jump right into aware and listening. That awareness part seems very key. How did you become aware of intuition? Well, as I told, I finally began to call myself an intuitive, talk about intuition. Uh, but I wanted to teach other people about this, becoming aware and listening. And what's the first thing I had them do? Get a journal. Get a journal and write down things. Write down things. Because as you would track yourself during the day, you would find out that you have more hits than misses. It's going on. You know, you're thinking of, what, what, why did Joan just come into my head? Maybe I need to call her. And I go and I call Joan. She said, I'm so glad you called. I was just thinking of you. Well, that's a very, very simple thing. But I write that down in my journal. And that's a key. That's a telepathic, you know, communication. And I'm wondering, you know, I have to uh, speak to somebody about a problematic situation. How am I going to start that? Well, I don't know. I put it aside. And suddenly I'm working on something else and it keys in. Just tell this person, you are beautiful. You are loved. Never forget that about yourself. You know, I set it off in a positive tone. Write it down in the journal. So the journal has all kinds of things. It has hits. It has what you're going through. And even your misses, so you could see where the misses come along. <laughs> where, where you're let off the uh, the beaten track. Uh, you might want to include cartoons. I used to collect cartoons. You might want to include quips. And, you know, I'm always learning about what uh, other people think. And just last night, uh, I, I was talking to Ed, and he was talking about Elmer Green from the Ozaki Book of the Dead. And he said, you know, Elmer wrote about intuition. This is a very interesting point. He said, you have to embrace the unusual, that which makes no sense. It's like you have to follow it and go after it because you never know where it's going to lead. And I thought about that. And that was such a good point that I said, you know, I'm going to make note of this. So I don't have a journal now, but I have notes that I keep about things. And, you know, so whenever a note comes along, that that kind of grabs you. And that is so important. Um, I like when my students use the word, um, it's weird, it's strange. Because I didn't want intuition to be unfriendly that way. 
And I wanted to have them know that it was a very usual thing that goes on in your life. So here's someone like Elmer saying, you know, befriend the, you could say unusual. That's okay. Befriend the unusual. You never know where it's going to lead you. And I was thinking about the time I was flying somewhere and uh, I'm uh, reading the Hemispheres magazine and I don't know where I went. I just pulled back. I went someplace else and I saw myself writing an article for business people in the United Airlines Hemispheres magazines. And I came out of that and I said, if I use the word weird or strange, I would have used them. I don't know what words I used at that time. But I did think this is unusual. Where did that come from? And here is, you know, that suggestion from Elmer. You know, you never know where that is going to lead. Do you know what I did? I went and I connected <laughs> with the editor at the Hemispheres magazine. And lo and behold, in 1995, an article that I wrote for called Power Hunches for the business people was right in that magazine. So, you know, when, when these things come up, you know, it's like the road might be like this. Talk about the yellow brick road. You know, follow whatever it is. You never know where it's going to lead you. But here's another tip. There are... Three caveats that I have to put in there. Intuition has culprits. Okay. And one culprit is wishful thinking. By the way, go back to intuition. It's neutral. But come to wishful thinking. Wishful thinking. Oh, that's of the ego, how you would like things to be. And many times I got caught. I once had an editor. Her name was the same name as my beloved mother. Naomi Rose. So I thought she would be perfect. I had to hire her as an editor. It was the worst mistake I ever made. But you see, it was my ego. I wasn't checking my ego. And, you know, another thing, uh, another culprit is that of fear. We're afraid to take steps. We're afraid to push that boundary and go forward. And again, the ego you know, the ego has an agenda. Okay. So I'm hiring somebody for a project because they're a good friend and I think they're going to be a great sidekick. But oh boy, that didn't work out. How do you suggest that we handle discernment as to what is intuition and what is wishful thinking or fear or past conditioning or projection into the future? First thing I do is I come back to my body. And my body is literally an intuitive antenna. And uh, I look at the question, I look at what I'm doing, and I'm saying, you know, is this from me? Is this of me? Is this by me? Where is this coming from? Where is this coming from? And uh, if it's kind of coming from my ego, and my ego is something that's going to elevate me, and oh boy, puff out my chest, puff out my hair, you know, that's, that's not right. But if I have, if I'm detached, this is an important word. If I'm not attached to the outcome, meaning I'm detached from it, you know, that's intuition. That's really intuition. Uh, I 
And, and you know, a good, I'm so glad you asked this question because I look back and I've taken unbelievable risks and steps in my life that I couldn't believe. First of all, I never heard the words, it can't be done. I went and got a PhD. People said, you can't do that. Well, yeah, I can do it. And at the particular school I went to, they said, nobody gets a PhD from there. I said, I'll be the first one. I'll do it. It never dawned on me that things can't be done. So, you know, when I'm in that zone that I'm not attached to an outcome, and when I'm in that neutral zone, it flows right into it. And I take out those words, you know, it can't be done. It can't be done belongs to fear. And I just go where angels, you know, don't fear to tread, you know, because I don't think about it. If my body feels smooth and I'm moving and I'm going toward it, you know, when I met you, Emmy, I felt such a peace. I felt such a calmness about you. Yes. And my heart, I knew this is a woman that I could work with. My intuition said, I knew Emmy is going to lead you in the right direction. Oh, well, I feel the same way about you, Marcia, 100 million percent. I'm glad you brought up angels because do you think that intuition could be guided by angels or the spiritual realm? With the capital A, absolutely, absolutely. We, we, we do have guys and we do, you know, I come on a program and I go to give a talk. And what happens to me when you hand me a microphone? I get very funny, very funny, P-U-N-N-Y. And I know it's not me because I'm, I'm not that funny in real life. I don't think of myself that way. And where is this coming from? But, you know, I step back. And even when I'm talking to you, I come out with things I don't know where they're coming from. I let myself, the guys, who they are. I let my guides speak through me. And uh, that reminds me, I have to add something. I have to do an addendum here. When I talked about getting that notebook, one of that, well, two parts to that notebook is who are our guides? How are we guided? Where is it coming from? And another part, the dreams, the dreams that we have, to let the dreams guide us. And take us through. And I was thinking the other night in a dream, I, I met, I met what I felt was a guide. Maybe yes, maybe no. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'm one of these people that I do believe in angels. I do believe in guides. I believe in a divine force that is guiding us and leading us. And, uh, it's like way back when I was at that spiritual, spiritualist church. And then I learned more in uh, Florida because in the Florida Society for Psychical Research, we had all kinds of mediums coming through and they had their guides come through. Their guides, they stood back and their guides spoke through them. And I learned to do this. But early on, gosh, one of the male guides spoke through me. When I had a client sitting there and the poor guy was stunned. And I thought, oh, what, what is going on? But it doesn't matter whether we're channeling something or whether we just know 
that the information is coming from, I'll call it a, a divine source, a sacred source. It begs the question then, what is us versus what is the divine? Intuition is the deepest wisdom of the soul. It's us, really. It's in us. Yeah, it's in yeah. There's a song that we used to sing way back. It's in every one of us to be wise. Find your joy. Open up all your, uh, open up your eyes. You know, find your joy inside. I forget it, the words exactly now. But you know, it's in every one of us to be wise. You know, find your joy, you know, open your eyes. And it doesn't matter who it's coming from or how it's coming from. Uh, I, I start my day. I do a little meditation and so on. But when I'm getting ready to write, okay, or when I'm ready, ready, I pick up a pen. That's the feeling part again. And I just get quiet and I ask a question. And I write. And I write. And I write. And I get the answer. And I learned that from a woman that Jeffrey knew. And I'm at a conference and wondering where I'm going to move. And Jeffrey said, well, maybe we should ask Ingrid to speak to her guides by writing something. And she'll tell you where you're going to move in California. You know, it, it's just a tactile thing. But again, to realize that there's something greater in us that is coming through. And that's why I try to put my little S, my little self aside and let that greater self come through to guide me. You used to work with the Intuition Network alongside the host and producer of this program, New Thinking Aloud, with Jeffrey Mishlove many years ago. Cultivating intuition, that term and phrase, came from Jeffrey, came from him. This man that I didn't know invites me to co-host a workshop with him for IONS, for the intuition, the IONS. Institute of Noetic Sciences? Yeah, the, yeah, the Noetic Science. And uh, was giving a workshop on cultivating intuition, apprehending your sacred self. And it was Jeffrey, and he was giving him, and we had never met. And here, you know, this man is well known in the Bay Area. He has this show called Thinking Aloud. And, you know, here I'm puddling along, doing whatever I'm doing. And uh, the next day, I was to leave for Amsterdam for the Dream Conference, for the annual conference. So I at first didn't even know that I wanted to go. Uh, and I had to tune into my intuition. You know, here I'm due to fly out the next day after this, apprehending the sacred. I didn't even know what that was all about. And then when I found that I'm leading people through the bardo, I really didn't know what I was going to be doing. But, you know, I trusted. And my intuition led me. And it was one of the most uh, beautiful moments meeting Jeffrey. And, you know, and it was the beginning because Jeffrey then, uh, we, we did have, a, I thought, a very good workshop. I did catch the plane to Amsterdam to go to the dream conference, you know, the next day. Uh, and uh, th that, that was an exciting moment. And eventually Jeffrey invited me to be part of a group, a business group, uh, for when he took the helm 
of the intuition network. He had four or five intuitives that we formed a group and we ended up putting on annual conferences on intuition. July 8th, 1994 is when we gave that workshop, Cultivating Intuition. And I'm cultivating, and you know, uh, I love the word, I don't usually use the word cultivating, but as I think about it, and I'm loving nature and I'm learning, you know, loving planting and going out in nature and walking. This is another way of, of cultivating intuition. It gets to uh, embracing what is different. And where is it coming from? Where is it coming from? And to realize <laughs> I was always humble enough to say when I came up with something clever or wrote something that it's not coming from me. It's coming through me. There's, there's a difference that it's, it's bubbling up and coming through me and going out there. The creative process and engaging in activities that are pleasurable and enjoyable can help us come into the present moment. Yes, very, very much so. Very much so. Uh, a, a part of my steps that I go through when I do the problem solving, blah, 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 and is to step back and do something creative. Whether you take a pen and paint something, you hum a tune, you move your body, you know, you do listen to music, you know, you, you look at something that just engages you, and, and that really gets you right into the right brain. That takes you over from the logical mind. Uh, that's why people talk about mandalas, the beautiful pictures. Oh, I had a mandala that I could show. I purposely want to show this because this was a gift from Henry Reed. And Jeffrey has had Henry Reed on his program. And Henry Reed has done wonderful work with intuition, the books that he has written, and with his dream circle and intuition. And he sent me this as a gift. And he makes mandalas. That's incredible. What what do you feel that image is conveying? I see two things with it. The corners, okay? The corners reminded me of shells. And I'm a big shell person from living in the Bahamas for five years. I love shells. And I would walk along the beach and I would say, Jonas Salk had a saying, I wonder what my intuition will toss up to me like gifts from the sea. And I would walk along looking for the gifts from the sea. And so I often think of Jonas Salk when I see the conch shells in the corner. The hearts. I think, you know, opening one's heart and being heartfelt is important. Now that sometimes we know can lead us astray. But, you know, with, with the open heart, and this was part of Henry's work, with the intuitive heart. And... It's interesting that for him, he put the purple in the center. And that's one of my colors. That's, you could see I'm wearing purple, purple and orange, the two rays that guide me, color rays that guide me, the purple. So he didn't know this when he sent it to me, but uh, he wanted to send me a gift. And the gift was the mandala. And that can help us get into all of our senses and using more of ourself versus trying to 
analyze or maybe being in fear or judgment? You know, it's very interesting. I had the opportunity through my grants that I've mentioned before to interview some of the top business people. And I was talking to Rich DeVos, who founded the Amway Corporation company. And I said, Rich, and he's telling me one story after the other, where he just was so open, getting this, getting that, getting that. And I said, Rich, you know, you're, you're so intuitive. He said, no, no, I'm not intuitive. He said, oh, I get some hunches. <laughs> you know, I get some gut feelings. And, you know, the openness, you know, to that. One of the things I loved about teaching, when you teach, you, you learn. And as the students in my class, they all had jobs. They were adults. They weren't kids, you know, young kids in the classroom in their 20s. And they had responsibilities. They were managers and, and so on. They come, came from all walks of life. And I loved kind of getting moments, the aha moments from them. And one student is sitting in class one day. And suddenly jumps up like that and runs out of the room and nobody knew why and nobody knew what had happened. And sitting there, he told us later when he came back to the class, he said, my God, I was sitting there and I suddenly heard my wife say, call me, call me. Your son needs you. And he didn't know what it was. And he ran out and it turned out his son had an accident. They're at the hospital. They needed the insurance card. He had the insurance card, not her. And that's the only way he could get in. And lo and behold, of course, he gave her the information on the phone. And he came back and he said, if I wasn't taking this class, I never would have done anything. Like I never would have listened. So it was so rewarding to see how people became sensitized to listening and awareness. And I, I collected so many stories like that. You know, even the nurse that everybody couldn't get to the heart of what was wrong with the patient. And she stepped back and she said, you know, there's a tumor in this patient we didn't detect. And she was right. And again, the opening to that. And the uh, the manager who just came from his corporate aerobics, he said he was working out. He was really quite open. And he goes to look at his product. And he found a flaw in the product that was on the floor that they were advertising. And he says, oh, my God, we have to fix this. And he calls for the fix because nobody detected that. And the man came in, looked around for five days, you know, and so on. And it was a very costly fix. And my student stepped back and he told me this. He said, what, what would Marcia tell me to do from class? And he got into stepping back, going into the right brain to see. And he found that what to do. And he went back and he made a simple fix. Not five days, not costly. I mean, I hear stories. I heard stories like this. And many of them, Emmy, are in my books because I wanted to share them. I've interviewed well-known people. And all of them, the, the joy of how they were able to step back and do something uh, because they listened and they became aware. Yeah. That's a great example with exercise because there's research that shows that repetitive exercise can help a person get into 
a sometimes referred to as a relaxation response state or being able to come more into the present moment. And that individual was able to access that information and move forward with it. When, when I'm right or stuck, I go take a walk. And all for my walk is to Sarah. And you might wonder, who is Sarah? Sarah is my tree. I speak to Sarah, my tree. I do my Qigong, particularly some moves that I do with Qigong right in front of Sarah. So I was stuck yesterday about uh, thinking about our interview and how to start it. And I wasn't sure. I went out and talked, talk, you know, took my walk and I get by Sarah and uh, I'm hearing risk taking. And what came into my head was the cultivating intuition story that I gave about Jeffrey and the workshop. So I said, oh, I've got to look this up. You know, I've got to have the date. I've got to be on top of it. And I go and I'm out in a beautiful park and I'm doing my Qigong, not doing my Qigong. I did a few moves in front of Sarah, the tree, and I'm getting the energy from the tree. And I said, that's interesting. So I went home and I made the notation. But this morning when I was tuning in, I heard, don't start off with that. Wait to be asked. And you asked me about it. Hmm. You asked me the question that led me right into it today. Why do you think you needed to be asked? It wasn't the time. To le leading off wasn't proper. Interesting. It wasn't the way. I really like what you say about awareness and the stories that you describe. You really encouraged your students to keep journals and to become more aware. And the human body, the human psyche consciousness is really an instrument and like a musical instrument, we need practice in order to cultivate it. How do you get to Carnegie Hall? Do you remember that old show? <laughs> practice, practice, practice. 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 <laughs> yes, yes. And, and this is way of practice. And even with uh, writing down the dreams, uh, people are not going to just get their dreams heroically without practicing, without writing down what they have throughout the day. Uh, the intuition comes by writing down, you know, your, your tidbits, what you're getting, the ideas, the flows, etc. You know, and don't call any as weird or strange or coincidental. They are all important and they are all right. And they're all waiting for you. That, that's the important thing. They're all waiting for you. And synchronicities can show us that we are in the flow with our intuition. Oh, that is so important, the, the synchronicity. Uh, I, I used to collect uh, synchronicity stories, and I still do. And uh, being in the right place, you know, when someone calls, uh, you know, when you're thinking of them as a synchronicity, meeting someone at a certain place and time, and... Uh, I, I talked, I had a student who was a doctor and she was going for an interview. And one interview was in her hometown of Grand Rapids and one interview was in Tennessee. And she featured uh, going to Tennessee. That was, I'm sorry, Tennessee was her hometown. She featured going to Tennessee. Well, when she got there, the lightning, the rain, the thunder, nothing was going right. And when she went to Grand Rapids, the sun came out. It was shining. It was beautiful. 
And I also often call the synchronicity the environmental cues. So that was a synchronous cue for her. The, the beauty of everything. The sun coming out. Those are great examples. Are you a fan at all of a classic form that seems to be tried and true for helping people cultivate their intuition, which is meditation? Meditation comes in many forms. It's not what you think. Do you like that phrase? It's not what you think. <laughs> it's not just sitting down and thinking. Meditation comes in many, many forms. And some people can't just sit down and think. Many people just can't open their eyes and see. Uh, my, my meditation often comes very incidentally because I play mantras and mantras by Henry Marshall, who is now living in Amsterdam, does, has this incredible set of mantras that I have learned. And I mean, before we got started today, I listened to some mantras to get me stable, to get me set. But uh, back to meditation. The meditation that works for me is a walking meditation. Isn't that interesting? I could either just put some music on and move my body and have a question. Another meditation is when I get quiet in the morning and I've already said it and I pick up a pen and I have a page pad. I mean, the things that come out of there. Another meditation comes for me when I'm in the hypnagogia state, when I'm just waking up and I'm not up, but I'm there. I get downloads, downloads of what to do, what to say, etc. And, and you know, you have to honor all these things and, and write them down when I come in for my walks or when I finish doing whatever, whatever I'm doing. So meditation is not just the, uh, what used to be called the TM, the transcendental meditation. There's mindfulness, which is also to me, I love mindfulness, very powerful, very good. Where you're, you know, where you're sitting and you're, again, that's the awareness of what's going on. Yeah. You could take a mindful walk and notice, oh, I saw the crocuses I did outside our house the other day. And I see the daffodils now starting to, to come up. You know, the mindfulness of things. And these are things, you know, any, anyone can do. You don't need a class of meditation. You don't need to read a book. You need to get the idea. Okay, get sparked by the idea and let it go and let it go. Mindfulness comes from the Buddhist meditation, Vipassana, which means clear seeing from what I can tell is synonymous with intuition and what you're describing. I'm stuck for words except to say it is. Absolutely, it is. It is. You find your way. You found your way through Vipassana. And I, I used to hear and do some Vipassana, frankly, meditation. Uh, so I'm not unfamiliar with it. But somebody might hear that word and say, Vipassana, what is that? You know, it's impossible. Uh, it doesn't matter. You heard a word, go look it up. <laughs> Find out something about it, you know. <laughs> Ask your internet, shall I go to the internet? Yeah. To research this. Exactly, exactly. You know, as inside, outside. How can you help people to trust and have greater confidence in their intuition? I'm a teacher. And a teacher says, you'll do it again and again until you get it right. And you got to 
practice. You know, you have to practice what it feels like. But to me, I want to come back to the intuitive antenna. And I go like this. When my body is smooth, up and down, and across, I move. And that's how I know it's time to trust my intuition. Now, I, I could run it through the sense test, you know, depending on, should, should I work with this person? Oh, can I see us together? Does that sound good to me? Does that feel right to me? Mm. Does it taste good? Does it pass the smell test? You know, I could run it through the senses, yes or no. But I'll, t- I'll tell you what else I do to trust. And it's a very simple technique. The traffic light. Asking a yes or no question. Shall I work with this person? No. Shall I form a relationship? We all are involved with relationships of one sort or another. And shall I become involved with this person in relationship? And the traffic light goes on. Is it green? Oh, sure, go ahead. Is it red? Stop. Is it yellow? Go with caution. And then I devise other ways of hearing or seeing yes or no questions. Do I see the words yes or no? Do I see a banner being flown, hurled, you know, yes or no? I can invent these games for myself to find out. So I'd say, you know, you put it through the the, uh, sense test, the sensory extended sense test, or you uh, take your traffic light or you invent another game. and And it's so simple, but you know, it works. That's the bottom line. It works. And hindsight can be very 2020 when using your intuition to see what path you took, maybe when you asked a question about making choices or decisions. And then over time, you can look back to notice, aha, that was really accurate. Or, oh, I wasn't listening to everything. I should have known better, right? That's the point of having a journal. You know, even your hunches, and I said this, and I want to underscore, even the hunches that didn't work, you go back and you look and you could say, how did I miss that? Every once in a while, something trips me up. You know, you could call me the queen of intuition, but I make mistakes. I let astray. My ego does come out every once in a while and, and leave me astray. So uh, to go back and to check with your journal is to then look at it and say, what could I have done differently? Mm-hmm. Our emotions can help us to know when an intuition is accurate or not. However, sometimes the tricky part is that our emotions can get in the way. How can you suggest that people discern which emotions are guiding them or leading them astray? Okay, for me, you know, and it's interesting that I have Henry's mantra up the uh, mandala up the up a moment ago because he wrote a book, The Intuitive Heart, and that bothered me because I know the emotions can subtract from the intuition, and the emotions subtracting 
become ego involved. Okay? And to me, when it's truly from your heart, when it's from a very gracious, full space, in whose interest is this? Okay? Is it in my interest or someone else's? You know, to ask, in whose interest is it in guiding and leading me? Uh, emotions are very tricky. And that's why, uh, I, I did work with the culprits for, for a long time to understand when you're, um, when you want to go into something and your insight is very, very loud and it's very scary and so you should do this, you know, you're eager to meet or to partner with the person and oh, you should go with this person. Well, don't shoot on me. <laughs> don't shoot on my parade. You know, well, you know, that's saying no, that's not really coming from a good place. You know, when, when something is just the, with the heart, where it's easy, where it's effortless. Again, I, I'm repeating what I said before. When there's no attachment to the outcome, yes. It's very much about being in the flow. Completely, completely, yeah. And, and not, you know, not because it's going to, I'm puffing out my chest, not because it's a point of, puff, you know, flattering me, you know, in any way. No, it just has to be easy and, and effortlessly. That very calm, inner calm feeling. You know, I get asked to do a lot of talks. I get connected with a lot of clients for my services, be it consultations for their business, for themselves, call it reading, call it whatever you want. And uh, I have to ask myself, is this a person I want to work with? This is the company I want to work with. And if I have a calm overall feeling of well-being, it's a go. So that's, that's again, my karmic frost over here <laughs> with, with, the, with the antenna. Yeah, I love how you are describing ways that we can use our own being as the instrument or the antenna. At the same time, divinatory tools, and you mentioned some of those, such as tarot, uh, I Ching, or other tools, can help someone to develop or cultivate their intuition. I want to say something about my favorite, the pendulum, which is an amethyst here. You know, Emmy, sometimes it's not the major questions. Shall I go into this relationship? Shall I move? Shall I buy a new house? You know? It's not the major questions that get us. It's the little things. What shall I make for dinner? What shoes should I wear right now? <laughs> uh, and sometimes it's these very silly little basic questions. And my pendulum speaks to me. I don't use it all the time. It's talking to you, Marcia. Look at it go. <laughs> I know. I know. What is it saying to you? <laughs> It just feels our energy. Well, I'm asking is, 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 is our program going smoothly? And it's just, you know, look at this all over the place, all over the place. So what is it saying to you? It's saying to me, smooth move. You know, what we're doing, our work is smooth move. Our reaching out to our audience is a smooth move. Uh, 
I I can give myself before I start a rating and uh, from one to ten, and often I do, and I, I'm usually right. And you know, sometimes I ask the pendulum how things are going to go, and <laughs> so uh, it's I what I would say to people: you have the best pendulum in the world in this body, okay, and it's your infallible. Reliable. I said it at the beginning. Oracle to go. Your counselor. You know, it's it's there for you. And this is always the first choice. You know, it's sometimes when I'm rattled, if I'm involved with something and my head isn't clear, that I will pick up a pendulum. And I and I want to make it clear that I don't base everything on, on that. But it's a tool that can help us. Yeah. The important thing that I have taught. One of the important things that I've taught my graduate students, if you want to access your intuition, you have to go from the logical mind to the intuitive mind, to the right mind. Call it, I say the right mind. I don't like to say right brain. It's not just here, but to the right mind. And when you go to the right mind, you know, you're more relaxed. You're more open. You're pushing the boundaries away. Yeah. We, you know, we, we talked about nature, we talked about music, we talked about dance, you know, there are so many ways of doing, getting into that space. And when I'm working with business people, that this was really tricky. I had to get them, um, involved in going to the right brain. So, uh, at the beginning to get them centered, you could just say a word. Now, uh, you, you could say a mantra. But I can't, couldn't use the word mantra where I lived in Grand Rapids, Michigan. But you could say a word like peace, peace be still, equanimity, whatever word, you know. You could use any word <laughs> to denote peace and tranquility. Or you could have what I just showed you, a mandala. Now, sometimes... I've been in a business situation uh, where I was asked a question and I couldn't answer quickly. I couldn't answer quickly. I have to get centered. So what do we do? I take a deep breath. I inhale. And I look up at the, at the sky, not the sky, but the ceiling or the pattern in the rug. And when I look at the pattern in the rug, that gets me into balance. Uh, a mandala like this one, gets one into balance. It's symmetrical. Recently, Jeffrey Mishlove, our dear friend, gave a monologue on New Thinking Aloud on thinking and intuition. And he suggests that intuition underlies all of our functions and experiences in our lives. And he also cited you, Marcia, and referenced you that you say that our intuition is always 100% accurate. That, that's, that's very interesting. Uh, I, I didn't see that yet, but I wonder how he responded to that because I still feel our intuition is always right. And what I mean by that, if it comes from the sacred part of ourselves, here I go again with my little, you know, kind of sacred cross. If it comes from the right Motives, the right part, without the ego involved, without the ego involved, it is right because intuition is neutral. 
So it has to be right. You know, it has no agenda. It's not attached to anything. Do you think intuition wants what is for the best for everyone involved? Yeah, yeah. In, in our best interest. In our best interest. You know, it's interesting that I'm focusing the word relation on the word relationship comes in so many times. <laughs> because when people come to me for a consultation, it's always, you know, about a relationship. Not always, but that's an important part. And it doesn't have to be a love and it doesn't have to be a boyfriend, girlfriend, husband type thing because we have friends, we have partners, we have family. We're in relationship to our family. We're in relationship to the people that we, we work with. And uh, sometimes it's very hard to part. Parting is so hard to do. But what is best for the higher self? And it's almost like that precognitive side of ourselves that can see, that can see ahead, knows what's best for the deepest wisdom of the soul. I almost mentioned this before. Leo Buskaya, who wrote the book Love, I had the divine opportunity to uh, interview him. And that book was popular many, many decades ago. And he was a beautiful Italian man just filled with lust, with life, with, with love, with whatever he talked about. And he was so delighted I was interviewing him. I mean, he was delighted. I was the one that was honored. And... Uh, what, what he said, you know, to him, intuition was the voice of God. He said, when I need to know something, I talk to God. I talk to the sacred. And uh, how can we know what is in our best interest? How can we be our own parent? You know how the parent makes a decision we don't like. You won't go to that dance. You won't go to that meeting. You won't eat this food. And we think that's absolutely often. And uh, we have to become our own parent. And that parent, to me, <laughs> comes from a very divine space. What is right? What is divinely right? What is sacred? Is it set in stone? Well, we have free will. Things could change. Same thing when a dream comes up, a precognitive dream. There's a probability for it to happen, but it may. You may change it. It may not be in your best interest. You may want to change it to something else. Some things we can change. Marcia, I know we'll have more conversations here on New Thinking Aloud. Is there anything else you want to share, knowing that this is a, a big topic we've already covered so much, but is there anything else you want to share today about cultivating intuition? Well, if it feels right at this time, I would like to take people through my intuitive problem solving, which was then called the mind shift or the power shift, the steps of going from the logical mind to the right brain to find out how people made incredible decisions that they had no way of knowing. That would be a gift if you could guide us through that process. We're all students in life, and I'm still learning. And uh, I, I need to say I learned the steps of this intuitively. Nobody told me what to do. And I learned it as I was teaching to the students. So here's one of my students. Uh, she's moving and she's carrying heavy boxes and she, you know, notices a swelling on her foot. 
and her foot is getting swelled. So the first step, you know, you look at the background, the background I just gave, if she's moving, and first is the issue. How can I fix my foot? And then we go into the second step of centering. Well, she became very quiet, and uh, she heard the words, relax. And for her, she looked out. She has the sea outside her house. Her name is Sherry. She looked outside, and she sees the sea. And the third step is release the tension. So she does some relaxation. Okay. We learn some tense release techniques. She does that. The next step is breathing. She has to let go of the, the it's still bothering her. And she gets very quiet. And how can I fix my foot? And she sees a fish. And she doesn't know what to do with it. And the next step is associate to the fish. And she begins to associate. And a fish is carp and a fish is in the sea and a fish is in water and she's naming some other fishes. Nothing is gelling. So the next step is take a break. Step back. She steps back and in the meantime she goes shopping. She says, well, I might as well get some fish for dinner. So she goes to get the fish and she has the fish and she says, oh my God, that's it. Dr. Gill. Dr. Gill is my podiatrist, and I didn't take his directions. I didn't take his directions. So she goes and she calls Dr. Gill. She can't get in for five days, uh, and uh, she's just really troubled by that. She has to wait another three days. So she goes and she does what I do, like a word association. Foot, toes. Dr. Gill, directions. And that's when she said, he told me to wear orthotics, and I'm not wearing my orthotics. I'm not following his direction. And she did. And suddenly all that pain and that ache was cleared up. That's great. Now you would think I made this up, Dr. Gill. No, that's a real life story. All the stories in my books, except for maybe one or two, uh, are real life stories from people. And that's what I enjoy, seeing them get their aha, seeing them get their answer, seeing them not have to run and call and fuss with this and that. They got their answer. Our world would be a very different place if more people listened to their intuition. Listened within, yes, yes. Beautiful. Marcia Emery, thank you so much for being with me once again. It has been a delightful and joyful and very educational conversation. Thank you so much for being with me today. Namaste, Emmy. My pleasure. Namaste. And for those of you listening or watching, thank you for being with us. Thank you.